If you have your Bible tonight, uh, turn with me to 3 John. Small letter that you wouldn't think uh, would be a missionary support letter or a, or a letter about uh, sending and supporting missionaries, uh, but in fact it is. Just one chapter, uh, but packed full of a lot of information about what it means as a church to send and to support well. You know, as you're turning there, uh, just by way of introduction, many churches, I think, see their role in sending and supporting as the starting line, or rather, I should say, as the finish line rather than the starting line. They see it as the finish line rather than the starting line. If we can just get our missionaries to the field, uh, we're done, and we're, we've done our job. Uh, but rather, that's just the starting point. That's just the beginning of partnership. Uh, some churches, I think, have even lost their identity in terms of what it means to send well. Author by the name of Steve Byrne, who wrote the book Well Sent, affirms that statement when he says the local church has not remained at the center of sending. Often the individual considering global ministry is at the center of the process, partly due to the fact that the church has not assumed ownership. You know, I think the number of laborers on the field, coupled with this idea that there is a need to foster healthy retention of missionaries on the field, is critical for the furtherance of the gospel. There's another author by the name of Kelly O'Donnell. Uh, he deals a lot in the area of sending and supporting and, and missionary care. And he says that there are approximately 400,000 full-time foreign missionaries. 400,000 full-time foreign missionaries. And more than 11.8 million national Christian workers making up all different denominations. So 400,000 full-time foreign missionaries, 11.8 million national Christian workers. Even our own Southern Baptist Convention has about 3,600 missionaries taking the gospel to unreached peoples and places. And so churches and agencies oftentimes experience both success and failure when it comes to keeping missionaries on the field amidst varying pressures. There was a study that was done back in 2000, and then they uh, redid the study 10 years later in 2010. It's called REMAP. Uh, basically, it, it's short for uh, retention of, of missionaries, but they say that that study uh, proved that 47% of missionaries leave the field within their first five years of service. 47% of missionaries leave within their first five years of service. The average length of stay for whether it be single or a married couple, a uh, single missionary or a married couple, is two to four years on the field, the average length of stay. 71% of the 47% that leave within their first five years left for preventable reasons. So things that we could have as a church or as an agency helped to prevent them from leaving the field. One of the leading guys in that study, his name's Rob Hay, he says that statistics like this reflect a correlation in the retention of missionaries and the care that they receive from the sending church and the, missionary, and the mission agency. Missionary retention or keeping missionaries on the field really shouldn't be an end in and of itself, uh, but rather, he says, that places hardened with the gospel will only be reached by the gospel through dedicated, experienced, long-term missionaries aided by member care to grow spiritually as they expand in their resilience on the field, their durability on the field, as they maintain their physical and emotional health, 
and as they build effective ministry teams, encouraging one another, caring for one another, uh, communicating effectively with one another, developing leadership styles that are um, going to be effective on the field, developing flexibility to ever-changing needs and challenges. And so if you think about it this way, without proper missionary care, without properly sending and supporting our missionaries well, there can be no missions. Because without missionaries, there is no missions. And the church is called to such a task, and the need certainly exists. So that's why we look tonight at at what it means to send and to support well as a church. But before we dive into 3 John, uh, I want to take a step back and really look at kind of the biblical theology of sending. Uh, Sean led us through the Gospels in terms of God's heart for the nations in the New Testament, particularly looking at the four Gospel accounts of the Great Commission. But we really see a chain of missionary sending throughout the New Testament. First, in John 3, 17, God sends his son. John writes there, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Or you think about the end of John, John 20, 21, As the Father has sent me, so send I you. So, the, so God the Father sends the Son. Secondly, the Son sends the Holy Spirit. Luke 24, 49 I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have received or been clothed with power from on high. So the, so the father and the son send the spirit. And then thirdly, the Holy Spirit gathers and encourages the church. If you look to Acts chapter 9, verse 31, the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. And then fourth, the church sends her people. Passages like Acts 13, 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said to me, set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Or Romans 10, chapter, or chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. How then can they call on the one whom they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are what? sent as it is written how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news so what does it mean for the local church to be central in sending and supporting well let's dive into third john we'll pick up uh, in verse one and, and read down to verse eight john writes the elder to the beloved gaius whom i love in truth beloved i pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in a, in good health as it goes well with your soul For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. So just looking at kind of four basic principles from 3 John as we think about using this kind of as a baseline for what it means as a church to send and to support well. First, I think uh, one thing to look at is concern for missions and missionaries is normal. Concern for missions and missionaries is normal. 
You see it there in, in verse three. I have no greater joy than to know that my children are walking in the truth. So again, a concern for those that, that we send out. Verse five there, you are faithful in all your efforts. So again, the faithfulness of those that we send out in all of their efforts. Verse eight, we ought to support people like these. So you see it both in John's uh, affirmation and encouragement of, of Gaius to, to hear that this church, particularly uh, this brother, is walking in the truth, as well then that, that this church is faithful in all that they do, supporting missionaries uh, that had come into this church. And then verse eight, as they send them out then, these were probably itinerant missionaries who this church, in fact, didn't know, but rather received them in and then sent them on their journey uh, to other locations. John's encouraging and exhorting this church to support people like these. So concern for missions and missionaries is normal. Secondly, cooperation among local churches is encouraged. You know, oftentimes we get, I think we get territorial uh, in our sending and our supporting, uh, and we tend to tend to want to um, be the one to, to kind of have the leg up on other churches or even to say, you know, we have this many partners on the field. Uh, but rather, I think as we think about even sending and supporting, uh, the principle to go deeper with fewer is, is key. You know, oftentimes, churches will kind of take this shotgun approach where they'll have um, as many flags you know, uh, posted around uh, the church as, as they can and, and as many um, pins in the, in the map as they can. And that's not a bad thing necessarily, but if you think about it, you know, for a church our size, if we had a vast number of partners that we were seeking to support, the church isn't going to know those folks as uh, relationally deep as they would if we only supported, say, a handful or, or those that, um, uh, are, that we're going deeper with. And so, again, thinking about is it, is it more effective to support many at a, at a shallower level or support only a few at a deeper level? Mutual support of missionaries is real gospel partnership bringing honor to Christ. Again, they have gone out, what he says there in verse 7, for the sake of the name. So again, cooperation among local churches is encouraged. Third, I think another guiding principle from 3 John is that knowing whom we ought to support is crucial. Really, we can see this in verses 6 through 8. You know, there is a special moral obligation to support those who have been sent out for the sake of the name. And lots of people share the gospel, but there's only going to be a select few that have a moral claim on the church's financial support or the church's financial uh, budget and obligation. And these are men and women that we call missionaries. Uh, Andy Johnson alludes to this uh, in that chapter in that little book called Missions. We need to support those who want and desire that accountability from us, and in turn, we as a church need to be accountable to them. And so we need to, we need to have mutual accountability in that and be willing to Put that before those whom we support to say, we want to hear from you. Stay connected with us, and we will stay connected with you. So knowing whom we ought to support is crucial. And then fourth, I think a guiding principle is that we should, our support then should be abundant. You see it there in verse 6. We, you would do well to send them on a journey, on their journey rather, in a manner worthy of God. And so what does he mean there, in a manner worthy of God? But I think that he means that they would lack nothing as they go on their journey. So our support really should be like we're supporting Christ himself who's going on a missionary journey. 
if we would give everything for Christ, so too should we think about giving sacrificially and supporting deeply those whom we send to the field. And ultimately then our motivation in our sending and supporting as we see in 3 John is a, is a love for the glory of Christ. We're not seeking to prop ourselves up, but rather uh, to make Christ famous. So particularly then, as we think about those as guiding principles in terms of looking at the little letter of 3 John, in terms of sending and supporting, what then should the local church focus on in sending well? Kind of what are those, what are those broad sweeping categories that we need to think about in terms of how to send and support well as a church? I think the first thing is evaluation, evaluation or assessment. Some of this, again, may dovetail a little bit on uh, what Brad spoke to last week, uh, but uh, hopefully uh, those two uh, sections, both as going and sending, uh, will be wedded well together as we move through this material tonight. You know, if we choose the right people, we need not worry about giving them too much money because we've got deep conviction in them. Uh, You think about... um, armies that go off to war they've only got so much ammunition to fire and so you want to make sure that you have the right shot um, before you before you pull the trigger and so you want to make sure that you've chosen the right people you've raised up the right people such that then when you do assess and evaluate and you've got deep conviction in this individual or this couple or this family you shouldn't then be worried about giving them too much because you've already invested deeply in them we ought to sin discerningly and not support suspiciously Sin discerningly, meaning we need to vet them deeply. Um, Everything from physical, emotional, mental, spiritual health, and then not support them suspiciously. So we need to to have deep conviction in them, and and we have that as we evaluate them thoroughly. You know, you think about even just broadly speaking when it comes to evaluation, oftentimes uh, we get uh, this sense that um, we need to be frantic in our efforts to evaluate and to assess missionaries, uh, thinking, again, that the more that we get on the field, uh, the better off that we are, the more boxes that we can check. And yet, God's mission is not urgent. Hell certainly is real, and God's wrath is certainly uh, coming for those who are all outside of Christ. And yet, God's mission is not frantic, nor is it in danger of failing. And so I think we can be both urgent, yes, Uh, People are are lost and dying and going to hell every single day. And the weight of that should grip us. And yet we should be wise. We should have zeal, but zeal with knowledge. We need to send forth laborers and not just warm bodies. Uh, As Jesus says in Luke 10.2, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest that uh, he would send forth laborers into the harvest field. And so we need to send those who who are going to labor and labor hard and labor long and have have the long game in view. You know, is it really best to, to correct the notion that if someone doesn't have a good reason to stay here stateside, that they should go long-term? Well, no, because zeal, again, as we said, without knowledge is harmful, it's hurtful. And so local churches then ought to take a more active role in sending and supporting and encouraging and assessing. So as we think about evaluating and assessing, what should they assess? Well, I think first is to assess character, assessing character. We need to send people who are self-starters and those who submit to the church's authority. So again, even for those of you that are in this room that may be thinking about going long-term, make sure that you know 
uh, and have relationship with your elders. Make sure that they're aware uh, and are evaluating and assessing your call uh, to, to want to go uh, cross-culturally. Make sure that the people that we assess are trustworthy now such that we would trust them on the field. If we can't trust them now, uh, how are we going to ever trust them when they're on the, on the other side of the world? As we think about even character, char- uh, character qualities from the scriptures, so you think about 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, passages that we often turn to when we think about um, qualifications for an elder. And certainly uh, that is the case, but really uh, all of those should be character uh, traits of the everyday Christian. Um, they should be character traits of, of all of us. Uh, certainly you've got the exception there of, of being able to teach that is unique to an elder. But all those other characters, characteristics uh, should mark all of us. And when we think about assessing character, we need to be willing to say, not yet. And you, as those who are being assessed and evaluated to go overseas, uh, should be willing to receive that word of not yet. That yellow light, so to speak, to say, hey, let's work on this. Uh, let's walk through this together, and then let's reevaluate. So assess character. Secondly, assess fruitfulness. Uh, those who already have a trail of fruitfulness in their ministry here. Again, we're not out to, to make 747 Christians such that you get on a 747 and then all of a sudden you get dropped into the 1040 window and you get off the plane and you're all of a sudden going to be a disciple maker. You're all of a sudden going to uh, be evangelizing. Rather, are you doing that now? Are you making disciples now? Are you sharing the gospel now? Is there a trail of fruitfulness that you're leaving even now? Third is assessing biblical knowledge. Those who stand out in knowledge and understanding of the scriptures. Certainly, do you, do you need to be a scholar, a Greek scholar, a New Testament scholar? No. But I think you need to be able to handle the word of God uh, well. Theological knowledge on the one hand, but then also theological understanding. Uh, our missions reading group that I hold on Mondays and, and Tuesdays every other, every other week, we were talking about that uh, this morning. Uh, we're working through a book called The Missionary Theologian. We were talking about the fact of how we need to certainly have that knowledge, but then also that understanding to be able to uh, have an apology, an apologetic for why it is that we believe what we believe, such that we can, when we're on the field, guard against syncretism, uh, guard against um, those who would just add Jesus as just one more God. And then in assessing biblical knowledge, we also need to think about those who are best equipped to guard the gospel. Again, thinking about giving a hope for the reason or given a reason for the hope that is in us. So we have assessment and, and uh, equipping, um, or evaluating rather, evaluating and assessing. Second, I think uh, a broad category to think in practically is teaching and training. So what do we need as a church to teach and to train those who are looking to go cross-culturally? One thing I think is meaningful membership. What does it look like? Uh, what does it mean to be a faithful church member? Well, I think part of that is to be hospitable. Again, those who are opening up their homes, opening up their lives um, to receive those both inside the church, but then also outside the church. Uh, so think about those that you're having inside your home, inside your apartment, those that you're rubbing shoulders with in the workplace, those that you're hanging out with um, doing extracurricular activities. Uh, are you inviting people not only from within the church, seeking to disciple them, but then also, too, are you seeking to use those opportunities, be it over a meal or be it over... Um, uh, a baseball game or, or taking them to um, an, an activity or an event, using those as evangelistic opportunities as well. 
pray for gospel opportunities and seek those out. Uh, that's, that's a part of uh, what it means to be a faithful member of a church, uh, to be faithful in your evangelism. And then look for opportunities even in small group settings. So not only what are we teaching those that are looking to go cross-culturally, but then also what opportunities are we giving them to teach and to equip. Um, so whether it be starting uh, a small group Bible study, whether it be uh, facilitating a life group, uh, opportunities to, to be able to gather and to be able to teach and equip. And then certainly I think, what is your disciple making look like? Not only are you being discipled by others, but in turn are you discipling those uh, around you and under you. There's also specific training that we as a church want to do. Um, part of that takes the form, as I mentioned a minute ago, about our missions reading group um, that I uh, host on Mondays and Tuesdays, uh, where we walk through uh, various readings uh, and discuss things in and around kind of uh, three large buckets of theology, understanding of God, ecclesiology, understanding of the church, and then missiology, our understanding of mission and how all three of those inform each other. So specific training, even things like called and sent, uh, we want that, these opportunities to be opportunities that we equip, um, equip you guys in how to, to reach the nations. Another training opportunity, I think, is international experiences. You know, you think about the some 1,500 international students that are on the University of Arkansas's campus. Um, Trey's even, even noting um, how many Hindus... Uh, or Indians, rather, I should say, are going to be in Bentonville over the next, what, five years? Yeah, 23,000 uh, from, from uh, Indian uh, culture that are going to be uh, in Bentonville. I mean, certainly, I think, uh, for those that are in various uh, spheres of work, uh, you could see where the nations have come uh, to our doorstep. And so looking for those opportunities uh, to engage the nations, both uh, exploring those various cultures, exposing ourselves to them, and then even experiencing them. So what does it look like to engage cross-culturally even now among the nations? You think about many of those are coming from, from places that are unreached, that we could never get into, or it would be very hard for us to get into those places, and yet they're here uh, in our own backyard. And so we need to take advantage of that. So training and teaching. A third area, I think, is, is sending and supporting. Uh, particularly on, on the supporting side. Uh, but even too, as we think about sending, where should our focus lie as a church as we think about uh, who to send to, what type of work to send people to? Well, first and foremost, I hope uh, if you've gleaned anything from these first eight weeks of called and sent, you've seen the, the emphasis and the, and the primacy on the local church. And so there is a focus on the local church because again, the local church is both the means and the ends by which God wants to see the Great Commission accomplished. And so usually the most strategic work that we can support is the work of both planting local churches, but then also supporting the work of the local church. Whether that be uh, in pioneering context among unreached people groups or unengaged unreached people groups, or whether that be supporting and strengthening existing churches on the field. First, I think looking at church planting in pioneering context uh, we can look to passages like Romans 15, where Paul says that he doesn't uh, want to build off of somebody else's foundation, but rather to take the gospel where Christ is yet to be named. We do that practically even here in our partnerships at UBC. So we think about uh, reaching some unreached people groups and, and adopting those over these last uh, 10 years or so, the B people uh, in the deserts of Africa. 
the Tiger people in East Asia, the Katio people that the bird cultures are working among there in Medellin, Colombia, uh, even in South Africa among um, various refugee pockets uh, in Durban. So planting in pioneering contexts. But then also, I think, strengthening churches. Um, you can look to passages like 1 Timothy 1 or Titus 1 about Paul sending, uh, sending Timothy and Titus to various churches that he had planted to then go back and raise up leaders to help strengthen those churches such that they would uh, continue on in the work of gospel proclamation. We do that even in our own partnerships through uh, folks like Harshit Singh in India as we send folks over there to train pastors who will in turn plant uh, and pastor churches in India. Or even in South Africa uh, as we've done pastoral training again among various refugees that have come to Durban, South Africa from Central and, and Eastern Africa. Also, we want to focus, as we think about sending and supporting, not just focus on the local church, but then also focus on work that's being done well. Um, so what you don't necessarily see um, when you get the budget every year and you see dollar amounts being put to various partners is some of the back work that's been done. Uh, so we've got a rubric by which we kind of follow um, as we think about who to support, how much to support, um, in terms of do they align with us theologically? Do they align with us in their understanding of the church? And do they align with us in terms of their understanding of mission? Things like, can they affirm our statement of faith? Could they sign off on that? Um, could, if they were a man uh, and they came back stateside, would they, be, would they be somebody that we could bring on uh, our, our team of elders? Could we send guys to their church faithfully uh, and our, our own members then, uh, who are men, could serve as elders? But then also, I think, uh, even as we look to bring on new work, uh, that's where we want to get boots on the ground and eyes, eyes on that work to be able to, to see it um, such that we can, we can uh, speak uh, informatively to the body about it. So again, focus on work that's being done well. Focus on the local church. And then thirdly, focus on those whom you know and trust. Um, this is where I think oftentimes um, we, can, we can tend to, to latch on to that which works best, uh, that which works the fastest, that, that which is most pragmatic uh, rather than that which is the healthiest. Uh, and so beware as we think about even supporting work, um, beware of work that focuses much more on speed and much more on numbers. Uh, not that speed isn't... Uh, sometimes helpful, not that numbers aren't bad. Again, numbers represent souls. Um, but where speed and numbers are put forth kind of um, up front rather than what's happening uh, more deeply uh, in, in building that work and, and seeing that work be built up healthily, um, I think uh, we need to be careful in that. Andy Johnson would go on to say in his, in his book, Missions, the work of missions is urgent, but it's not frantic. We long for a harvest, but God has nowhere guaranteed a rate of increase. Again, you think about there in, in 1 Corinthians, where Paul watered or Paul planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So again, we need to be faithful and yet God, allow God to give the increase. So we've looked at assessing and evaluating. We've looked at training. We've looked at sending and supporting. And then our final category uh, is overseeing and caring. Overseeing and caring. So what does that look like for those that are already on the field? Not just those that we're seeking to raise up and to send, but those that are actually already there. Well, I think 
really five, five ways that we can oversee and care well. The first is regular communication. So that obviously that's going to take effort. Um, you've got time zones that you're having to navigate. You've got technology that you're having to navigate. And so it does take effort. Um, you've got one schedule here in, in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and um, Samantha Burgess has a, has a different uh, time schedule uh, there in Prague. And so uh, you've got you've to gotta make the effort to do that. Uh, one of the things that I've, I've tended to uh, make a regular practice is that anytime I receive a missionary update or a newsletter, um, I tend to, to take the opportunity right then and there as I have, as I have time uh, to read through it, pray through it, and then usually shoot a quick text or, or email uh, to that partner just to say, hey, praying for you. Hey, here's a couple ways that I'm, uh, that I'm praying for you. And I would encourage you guys to do that. Um, you know, I, one of the ways that we regularly communicate uh, here at UBC with our partners is through a bi-monthly prayer guide that you can actually go on our website into the missions tab and click on uh, mission resources. Uh, it actually may be even highlighted there under that missions tab uh, called From the Field. Uh, it's called From the Field Prayer Guide. That's a bi-monthly prayer guide that I put together uh, that gives regular updates, both praise reports and prayer requests from our partners on the field. Now, obviously not all of them um, give me updates on a bi-monthly basis, but uh, by and large, uh, the majority do. And so that's one way to receive regular updates if you're not already doing that. I think, too, as our partners are back stateside, uh, ask them if they've got uh, newsletters that they send out regularly, be it weekly, monthly, bi-monthly, um, and sign up for those such that you can receive those directly. But then also, if you flip to the back of your member directory, uh, we've got biographical sketches of all of our supported workers as well as their email addresses. Uh, we did that intentionally so that uh, we can put that information uh, in our members' hands and say, you guys, um, take the initiative and, and email our supported workers. Uh, there may be some that you've got uh, greater affinity with, and so would encourage you um, to make it a regular habit and a regular rhythm of your, of your life uh, to pray for them and even shoot them a quick email uh, and just say, hey, I'm praying for you. Uh, here's a passage of scripture I've been meditating on, um, and I want to encourage you with that today. So again, regularly communicating is a way that we can care well for our missionaries. Second is pastoral visits. Again, oftentimes we'll take short-term teams on trips to carry out a task, uh, but then there's going to be those other times that we send a couple elders uh, just to check in. Uh, we don't have any intention other than that to do member care uh, with our partners on the field. Uh, there may be other times, too, that we send a couple elders on a short-term mission team, and they will either go on the front end or stay longer on the back end to do just that, to check in to make sure that uh, our partners are thriving well um, from their physical health to emotional health to their spiritual health. How are they doing in their, in their marriage? How are they doing in their parenting? Are there, are there ways that we can uh, help them unpack some things theologically that they may be running into on the field, uh, dealing with various worldviews? So again, pastoral visits. But then I think there is opportunity. Obviously, uh, one, of the, one of the things that we've done uh, quite a bit over these uh, last number of years is, is short-term mission, mission teams. Now, obviously, short-term mission trips uh, can tend to get a bad rap uh, because oftentimes they are more harmful than they are helpful. Uh, but I think uh, where we've uh, strived to, to make sure that we are helpful is that we are seeking to make contact with our partners and say, hey, let us know when you need a team, what sort of team you need, uh, such that you, we're not asking you to create work. We're not asking you to create ministry. 
uh, but rather uh, we want to step into what you're already doing on the field uh, such that it's just in the regular rhythm and flow uh, of your life. Uh, I remember even when we went to South Africa, uh, Hayden and Amy were on that team uh, with us. You know, it was a case where the Ingstalls um, just folded us right into what they were already doing, be it evangelistic or discipling Bible studies or teaching English, uh, such that they didn't miss a beat in their weekly rhythm. Uh, they just had us as, a, as an extension, so to speak, of their, of their ministry for that given week. Uh, the book we've given away uh, in an earlier week, Intro to Global Missions, Zane Pratt, who's one of the vice presidents for the International Mission Board, uh, he co-authored a book uh, as an Intro to Global Missions book. I uh, would encourage you to pick that up if you want to read more on short-term missions uh, and how it can be helpful, but also uh, to stay clear of, of ways in which it can be harmful. Uh, there's a great chapter uh, on that very, t- very topic. So regular communication as we think about caring for our missionaries, pastoral visits, sending short-term teams, and then fourth, extending hospitality. So again, as our partners come back stateside, what are ways that we can engage them in the life of the body? Uh, some are going to more naturally do that. Others may not have quite the relationship um, as, as some may. And so how are we going to seek to show hospitality as they come back stateside? And so I think looking for ways to help them be a meaningful part of the congregation Look for ways that we can help them uh, find rest and refreshment and reconnect back stateside. Um, Even if it's just sitting down with them, having them over for a meal, um, taking them out to coffee and just being a listening ear. um, That's going to go a long way in terms of helping them to feel uh, refreshed and and reconnected. There's also a a book uh, that just came out called Mission as Hospitality. Uh, So even as we think about both Uh, ways in which we can be practicing um, hospitality as we look to go cross-culturally, but then also how then can we um, extend hospitality to our partners as they come back stateside. Uh, That book, Mission as Hospitality, Ed Smither, um, would be a great resource for you to pick up. And then fifth, as we think about missionary care, is providing additional teammates. Um, The best gifts that we could give uh, our partners on the field is not a 24-pack of Uh, Dr. Pepper, um, or peanut butter, or mac and cheese, uh, but more so sending them long-term help. So if we trust our missionaries enough to support them, to send them financial help, we should trust them enough to recruit from our own congregation. We should live our lives like this rather than like this. Uh, J.D. Greer, um, in his book, Gaining by Losing, talks about that. Uh, even as he sat around a conference table in a staff meeting one day, recognizing that he was about to lose some of his best leadership in the church uh, and sending them out, uh, be it to plant a church across town or across the country, or even to send some of his his best leadership around the world uh, to see churches planted uh, in the 1040 window. And he said, you know, I realized that the Lord was um, causing me to open my hands and to live more open-handedly rather than having a clenched fist about that. And so again, considering how is God calling you? Is he calling, is he calling you to leverage your life and to go and serve alongside some of our existing partners on the field? So those are just kind of five, uh, four or five broad ways to think about both assessing and evaluating, uh, training and teaching, sending and supporting, overseeing and caring, uh, just categories to think about, very practical handles in how we can support and send well as a church. 
If you want to read more kind of about those uh, four or five areas, uh, another great resource uh, that we didn't give away as one of the giveaway books uh, by an author named Neil Pirolo, P-I-R-O-L-O, Neil Pirolo, Serving as Senders uh, is a great, great resource to pick up. Last week, I think Brad talked a little bit about even mission agencies. So I think as we think about the role of the local church in sending, well, what about mission agencies and how do those two things work hand in hand? I think there is an optional but permissible means of organized cooperation among churches. But then also, too, sometimes churches can send their own, but also then send alongside a mission agency. Andy Johnson, in his book, Mission, says the best agencies are those who refuse to intrude and act like the church and instead encourage and help, sometimes even impressing upon local churches their important role of caring for the workers they send. Cooperating with the church, agencies then can help send workers to difficult locations that churches couldn't reach alone. Um, So you think about even um, Paul... Paul's partnership, obviously there, there weren't mission agencies, so to speak, back in the New Testament. But you think about strong partnerships uh, in the New Testament, uh, thinking about Paul in, in Philippians 4, where he tells the church at Philippi, you know, you are the only church that has entered into partnership uh, with me. Or even as we looked at 3 John, again, those missionaries coming in as itinerant missionaries and coming in under that church there in 3 John and then being sent out for the sake of the name. And so I think... Again, looking for ways in which both the local church and the mission agency can be useful for one another in strategic coordination, but also seeking a posture of humility. Um, one of the ways that uh, we as a church are beginning to, to do that is to help build a stronger relationship and rapport with mission agencies of those that we're sending alongside of. Um, one of the ways that I'm, I'm doing that is by reaching out to our uh, missionary care or member care personnel of our IMB uh, workers that are on the field and seeking to build rapport with them to say, look, I recognize that there may be times at which we can't uh, communicate openly just because of, of various rules and regulations that we have on the sensitivity of, of particular um, pieces of information with our supported workers. But we at least want to be uh, making one another aware of, of things in our partners' lives that we can uh, help encourage them, strengthen them, uphold them, uh, and even in times where we need to step in and, uh, and uh, do some counseling, that we can do that. Uh, so again, taking that posture of humility as we think about working alongside mission agencies. And then two, the, uh, the aspect of field oversight. So again, who kind of holds the strings there? Is it the local church or is, the, is it the mission agency? And I think it's a, it's a delicate dance um, to kind of know um, who steps in when and where. Uh, but ultimately, I think, Uh, working to find kind of that healthy partnership between the two entities uh, when you do have a partnership where both entities are are being utilized is key. So really just to ask the question as as we conclude, you know, why does this matter that we are clear on these points about sending and supporting? Well, first I think because the church, again, as we mentioned, is both the means and the end through which the Great Commission is accomplished. Ephesians 3, Paul writes, that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is made known among the rulers and authorities. So again, the church is the means and the ends by which the Great Commission is accomplished. Second, because individualism and parachurchism can be problematic. 
Notice I said it can be, not always. I mean, you think about it. I'm getting ready to go on staff with the parachurch ministry, so um, obviously I wouldn't think it's, it's uh, too terrible for that. But you think about even the IMB, North American Mission Board, seminaries, uh, are all parachurch ministries. And yet those parachurch ministries that are most helpful are going to be those that come alongside of and support the local church and don't seek to usurp the role of the local church, but rather to undergird um, and, to, and to help serve the local church. We want to make sure within that individualism that we're not going out solo. So again, that's why we're stressing over these last couple of weeks, evaluation, assessment, making sure that you're in regular communication with your elders about what the Lord is, is doing and, and birthing in your heart and in your life as far as serving cross-culturally, uh, making sure that you're receiving that training, be it through larger group contexts like this or be it through uh, one-on-one discipling meetings, be it through leading Bible studies, uh, facilitating small groups. But then also thinking carefully, even as we'll talk about, I'm sure next week with Brooks here, is uh, the idea of what, what mission organizations, what mission agencies should we consider? How should we choose the right mission agency? Uh, things of that nature. But then thirdly, I think this matters because missions is inten- intensely congregational, not just intensely personal. It's intensely congregational, not just intensely personal. What I mean by that is, you know, you look at Acts 13. Again, as the elders of that church at Antioch were praying and fasting, the Lord said, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas, or Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have chosen them to do. So again, those brothers, they received, you know, you think about Paul, when he was converted, he went into the desert, you know, for three years uh, and and was was trained and was equipped. I mean, that's part of scripture that we just don't have record of, uh, but yet uh, we know that that, that, uh, that that training, that that equipping uh, happened. And yet they didn't come, come to the church and just kind of go rogue uh, necessarily or go on their own. Rather, they, uh, they were called out and they were uh, affirmed by that church and went under that church's authority. Because then after that first missionary journey, what do they do? But they come back to that church at Antioch. In chapter 14, verse 28, and it says, And they stayed with them for no little time, meaning that they stayed there and they, they shared with them all that God had done and seen the work of the gospel going forth. So again, there was, there was mutual accountability there. There was partnership there. Again, missions is intensely congregational, not just intensely personal. So what does this look like at UBC? Well, I think it means that teaching God's word is going to be the most foundational and fundamental missions task. As we preach the word faithfully, we desire that that word have its effect in members' lives, shaping our congregation, not only in their understanding of the gospel, but then also what the word says about taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. Being a biblical church is the organizational means by which we're going to do that, by entrusting, training, upbuilding, and sending. We want to do that with intentionality. We want to do that through preaching and teaching. We want to do that through exposure, uh, bringing in our partners on the field to expose you to them, as well as giving you opportunities to go on the field and to see uh, that work firsthand. We want to help to channel and instruct and warn against individualism. We want to train and send teams in cooperation with our own partners. Uh, So again, as you are even thinking about uh, maybe it's taking a summer and serving cross-culturally. Maybe it's taking a gap year, be it between high school uh, and college, or be it, you know, after you've graduated college and you're considering journeyman. Um, Let me encourage you and exhort you. Think about 
ways that you can do that with our existing partners. Again, to be an extension with those that we're currently supporting. Also, maintaining theological and pastoral oversight. So again, we do regular checkups with particularly our members uh, who are on the field as we have closest uh, proximity to them and closest spiritual oversight of them. Um, Thinking about kind of levels of partnership and expectations of partnership. Those that we're going to have greatest uh, expectation with and intentionality with are going to be those who are our own members uh, because uh, we're entrusted uh, to them and they, and they to us. Let me end with this quote um, by a pastor in the Atlanta area. His name is Aaron Minikoff. As we think about this, this idea of sending and supporting and particularly missionary care. He writes this, Missionary care will serve the local church's partnerships in their sending capacity and in their staying capacity. It's not enough to be a sending church. You need to be a staying church. A staying church doesn't let the rope fray or the bond loosen. As inconvenient as the relationship may be, the staying church remains involved by praying faithfully, communicating regularly, visiting occasionally, and always looking for new and creative ways to help. This is how we hold the rope, and we mustn't let go. So I pray that even as we think about our role in the Great Commission, whether that be God is calling us to go or whether that that God is calling us to send and to stay, that we would either have those who are behind us holding that rope or that we would be those who faithfully hold that rope for others uh, who go down um, and go across uh, cultures to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. One practical way uh, that you can, you can send and support well is by praying for missionaries. We, we noted that. Uh, I've got a handout on the back table as you leave tonight uh, that gives 16 ways that you can pray broadly for missionaries on the field. Um, so whether that be some of our own or whether that be others that you are in relationship with, uh, just a great way in scriptures that, that correspond with those ways to pray for them would be a great, great tool to use. Also, let me encourage you to check out, uh, as you're listening to, to various podcasts throughout the week, the Scent Life podcast, the Scent Life. Um, Greg Mathias and Scott Hildreth, both professors at Southeastern Seminary, uh, they host this podcast on a weekly basis, uh, and they talk about various ways that we as individuals and as churches can send well. Um, and one of the most recent episodes that they did was with a uh, pastor and author, Bradley Bell, uh, he pastors a church in Louisville, Sojourn, uh, not Sojourn, uh, Antioch Church in Louisville. Uh, And uh, Bradley wrote a book called The Sending Church Defined. Uh, So he takes a definition of what it means to be a sending church, and he breaks it down word by word, phrase by phrase. And each chapter uh, is built around that word or that phrase, and he unpacks it uh, biblically as far as what it means to be a sending church. It's a great book. Uh, there's two different editions of it. He just came out with a second edition, um, added a, an additional chapter talking about um, how to receive our sent ones back well. Uh, but it's a great, great book to pick up, be a great podcast episode to even begin with uh, as you check out the Sent Life podcast. Um, 